Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. Today is a really interesting show. I feel like this is a 1980s sitcom because we need a preface by saying, Today's show is filmed before a live studio audience, <laughs> but um, we, we actually are on a Zoom call and we have a few other pastors. Rob, you meet monthly, I think it is, mm-hmm. with uh, some pastors where you guys just discuss issues of Israel-Palestine and that sort of thing. And so for uh, the guests that we're going to have in today, you thought it would be great to just include that as part of the show. So the, the, we have a few pastors hanging out now. And uh, they're just going to be uh, sitting in the galley watching. But uh, yeah, we're going to have a fun conversation today. What, what are we going to do today in the, uh, in the show, Rob? Well, we have a wonderful guest uh, speaker with us today. And we're just privileged to have him with us. We discussed last week, last couple of weeks that sometimes our theology gets in the way. I did a lecture years ago and it says, you know, when your theology causes injustice, then your theology is problematic. And I think that's the issue. So today we have a special guest speaker with us, Tony Dake is a Palestinian Christian from Bethlehem, Palestine. For the last decade, he's lived and ministered in different contexts, including the Philippines, Hong Kong, England, Palestine, and Bolivia. Tony is currently a residential researcher at Tyndall House, Cambridge. He's working on his PhD in New Testament. He's also a lecturer, lecturer in biblical studies at Bethlehem Bible College and a member of the leadership team of the International Fellowship for Mission and as Transformation. Previously, Tony directed the online education program at Bethlehem Bible College he served with Operation Mobilization and was involved with the work at, here we go, Centro de Capacitacion, I uh, didn't do that right, did I, Tony? Uh, Missionera in La Paz, Bolivia. Tony can correct me in a minute. Uh, he's contributed to several edited volumes in theology and biblical studies, including Reading Ecclesiastes from Asia and Pacifica, The Religious Other, A Biblical Understanding of Islam, the Quran and Muhammad, and Between Religion and Politics, a conservative Christ- a Christian perspective on political questions from the Middle East. Tony's married to Sarah, a Bolivian, and their proud parents of Noor Sophia. So, Tony, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Rob and Vinny. All right. Thank you for and having me. You're welcome. And we do, as Vinny mentioned, we do have some other pastors on, online here, and they're going to be allowed to ask them questions in the chat box. So, we'll, Vinny and I will throw those up. So, we want to thank everyone for being with us today. So, Tony, let's just begin by giving you an opportunity to kind of tell your story and just giving us a little bit of context for our discussion today. Sure. Well, I... Uh... I, I was born in Jerusalem uh, and uh, grew up in Bethlehem, the Roman Catholic family. When I was a child, when people would ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I would always say, I want to become a priest, <laughs> a Catholic mm. priest. I, was, I had a, a very close relationship with the Lord as a child, and I was raised up by the Franciscans. My home church would be the Church of the Nativity, St. Catherine's Church. Wow. Part of the historical basilica. As I, as I grew up into adolescence, I uh, gradually started leaving faith. And by the time I was in university, I completely abandoned faith. Mm. And I uh, became an, an agnostic, almost an atheist. So just to give you a bit of background on my journey of faith. And then it was back in 2010 uh, that I had a spiritual experience. Uh, it was basically uh, a supernatural experience, I would mm. say. I was basically sitting with a friend of mine uh, in my fifth year. I studied computer engineering, and I was in my fifth year. We have five-year engineering training back in Palestine. And in my fi- last months, wrapping up our project, 
and this friend of mine comes to my flat. We were supposed to work on our graduation project. And instead, we shifted gears and started talking about new age and all. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know the famous book that was a bestseller in the US, I think all these things obviously arrived to Palestine, the secret. So we were discussing and talking about it, and I, I started thinking, we, we put the documentary of the film, and I started thinking, wow, it's, it's really, all, all this stuff is true. You know, anyone who believes in himself, you know, and visualizes what he wants, he achieves whatever he wants. You know, where is God? There is no God. You know, anyone who believes in himself can be God. Mm. You know, that's the most atheistic moment that I've uh, ever arrived to maybe and the moment I thought that anyone could be God because they are powerful I just saw the cross in front of me mm. very powerful experience I started like started breathing uh, deeply and sweating and my I, I scared my Muslim friend uh, he, he freaked out took me to the toilet wash your face what's happening here it was a very powerful vision and the intellectual thought that I, I remember vividly was that you know, uh, what makes God, God is not that he is todo poderoso, that he is powerful. You know, what makes God, God is this, you know, mm. the, the God's unfathomable sacrificial love on mm. the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that transformed me, that I, I was on my own. I was disconnected from any genuine believers. The next day, I only knew one guy who wanted to become a Franciscan. He wanted to become a Catholic priest and left seminary. So I rang him up. And I told him what happened with me, and I told him I want to leave everything and become a priest. Uh, <laughs> he he then wanted to connect me with, uh, I think it was a, a Benedictine priest, and he gave me his number. And uh, but I but I never contacted him. Mm. Obviously, it took me a while, but I I started reading the scriptures on my own. I started with the Gospel of John. I gave my life to Christ as I was reading the Gospel of John halfway through the. the John, where I was struck by the scene where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. Mm. Uh, and you know, the Gospel of John has a very high Christology. Yes, yes. Jesus, you know, the Logos in the beginning was God. God became flesh, dwelt among us. And then this God, this holy God, you know, washes the feet of his disciples. So I was struck by, by that, brought to my knees in repentance. First time in my life, I discovered I'm a sinner. Uh, gave my life fully to Christ. And since then, we've been walking the walk, trying, carrying our cross, denying ourselves every day, trying to, and following Jesus. So what, what, what happened afterwards, because I was on my own, uh, and I wasn't part of any group, I then, uh, a friend of mine was in Lebanon, uh, studying and he also became a committed christian a year before me and he and he shared with me his testimony and he was my only contact really so he started encouraging me to go to an evangelical church he mm-hmm. told me uh, tony these people have the real thing go there find an evangelical better if it's a charismatic church oh. he told me <laughs> so so obviously in palestine if you know the, the three Protestant church families, Lutherans, Anglicans, and the local evangelical churches. The local evangelical churches that are part of the council would be, you know, they, they would include Baptists and Pentecostals. So I, I was in Ramallah back then, and I just knocked the door of a Baptist church there. 
and uh, started going there to the to the church. That's really the bright side of my story. And I wish, you know, maybe in a different context, you know, I would tell you, you know, everything was easy afterwards, right, right, right. you know, all flowers and and love and prosperity and whatever you want. Right. So my cross was Christian Zionism and still is. Mm. Uh, in my early days of faith, before, so it took me after I gave my life to Christ, reading the Gospel of John, until I went to the evangelical church. I had like around two or three months of transition period, basically being on my own and you know, trying to understand this Christianity I uh, found myself in. You know, Googling the whole time, watching videos, random, very random, whatever preacher on TV, God TV, I don't know what, mm. here and there on the internet. So, and I would be struck by some of the sermons I was hearing. And then I would be shocked. Imagine a, a, a new Christian, you know, uh, you know, hearing the gospel and being excited. And towards the end of his sermon, he would say, okay, now let's pray for Israel. Let's collect money for Israel. Or a, a pastor would preach a, power, a powerful sermon about prayer. I would Google his, his name and Arab pastor. Hmm. And, and he's a Zionist, part of Christians United for Israel. I was like, what is this? You know, uh, if you would ask an average Palestinian Christian about Zionism, and this is how uh, I always thought, uh, for, for us, uh, for many people, Christian Zionism is just, uh, they think of it as a cult as, mm. at, at the periphery of Christianity. You know, this has nothing to do with us. I remember our priest telling us, this is not Christianity. This is So in my mind, it was something equivalent to Jehovah's Witnesses, mm. not Christianity. And here I am, listening to the gospel of grace, listening to evangelicals, uh, liking their exposition of the gospel, and at the same time, well, these are genuine believers, and they have this horrific mm. <laughs> uh, uh, theology that legitimizes and justifies wickedness and evil. Mm. Uh, it's something unfathomable for, for me. It, it was unfathomable, still, un, uh, and it's something that uh, I think all of us as, as Christians are called to uh, battle. You know, as some mm. people invite us as Palestinians to speak about our pain and our suffering. But, uh, and then this is obviously important how Christian theology in the West is, but my main concern really, uh, you know, what is at stake, what is at stake with Christian Zionism is nothing less than God's name mm. and God's gospel and God's word. This is, this is like, <laughs> this is our faith. This is like, what does it mean to witness to the mm -hmm. resurrected Christ? You know, but like, uh, how can the church preach the gospel of love and hold a theology that is okay with the theft of land, okay with the ethnic cleansing of Palestine, legitimizes all of these things? This is, this is unbelievable, and it should continuously shock us, you know, and I try uh, not to take any of these things, not to get bored of any of, things, of these things, not to take them as trivial, to always be horrified about injustice and unrighteousness. You know, this is something not to be dealt with. Any, any injustice, any unrighteousness need to be dealt with uh, with utmost seriousness.
especially in the church, because the church is the alternative community. Mm. My belonging is first to Christ and his church, and the church is the alternative community that is supposed to show the world what is right and wrong. The church is the, is the moral compass of the world. Uh, so if we lost the sense of right and wrong, then what Jesus said would uh, apply to us. The, mm. the salt, if it loses its... Tony, let me ask you, uh, yes. or, or let's actually define a few things because we've used the term sure. Christian Zionism. And I know yes. that Rob, you and I have talked about this in previous shows. I, I think it was when we were talking about the Roman series, we talked a little bit about the issue of Christian Zionism, but we haven't really addressed it in a while. And we, we didn't even preface the reason why we're having Tony on now is because we are in the midst of a series on revelation. And this topic can obviously come up, um, mm -hmm. especially in, in American evangelical context where we talk about, you know, Israel, Palestine, and there's, it's part of the popular theological belief that Israel has something to do with the end times and we need to support them at all costs. So Rob, do you want to quickly define what we mean by Christian Zionism? And then Tony, you could definitely add in mm -hmm. if there's any nuances that you'd want to throw in there as well. Yeah, or if, if you want to correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, and we did discuss this also just to remind our listeners, and I'll put this in the show notes when we had uh, David Crump on That's right. a year and a half ago to discuss yep. his book also like Black Birds in a Cage. So we can discuss, refer you back to that also. So Zionism itself is just simply a an ideological movement uh, that the Jewish people need to have a right to have their own ho homeland. That's all it is. It came to mean that homeland was in the, in the historic land of Judea, Samaria, as they like to call it, or the land of Palestine. Christian Zionism is the belief that the promises to God, of God to Abraham and the, the Jewish people in the Old Testament still apply to the Jewish people. And even though Jesus came and fulfilled things, the idea of Christian Zionism is the promises of God to Israel and to Abraham and Israel, especially regarding the land still apply. And therefore, many Christian, Zionism, Christian Zionists look at 1948 as a fulfillment of prophecy, and thus the end times have begun. So Tony, go because, ahead. Because 1948 was the year in which Israel became yeah. a nation oh, state. Yeah, again. That, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tony, if you want to add something to that, and then and then the follow-up question yeah. for that also, Tony, would be, because you talked about how that has been the cause of your suffering. So can you flesh that out for us? Like, well, what do you mean how that's impacted you and your family and Palestinians in general? Sure. I think the best way to think about Christian Zionism is to start uh, with Zionism and what is Zionism. And uh, the best way to do that is uh, looking at the primary sources. Mm -hmm. As uh, we, we who do academic research uh, do. Uh, and the primary source, visionary who put the idea of Zionism was Theodor Herzl. Right. And his uh, book is Der Judenstadt in German, The Jewish State. So the title of the book alone uh, is very important because the idea was to establish an ethnostate, you know, an ethnically exclusive Jewish state. Right. And Theodor Herzl in 1895 wrote in his diary what that ethnic uh, state would entail. You know, he said the uh, those the the penniless Palestinians he called them should be transferred you know, outside of our state. And we should do that. And I am quoting, this is, Genny, uh, this is Benny Morris, who is a distinguished Israeli historian. I didn't look at the archive and the diary by myself, but I'm, I'm relying on the work of a major Israeli historian. So what, uh, what Theodor Herzl said is that in order to have this uh, ethnically, uh, this ethno-state, 
you know, what do we do with the Palestinians? You know, we need to transfer them. We we shall transfer the penniless Palestinians, the fellahin, the farmers, the poor people, by trying to find jobs for them in Transjordan, you know, and uh, not offering them jobs in our land. So this is 1895. This is mm. like, this is the prophet of Zionism. This is like him before seeing anything. Mm. You know, the idea of having their Judenstadt is immediately linked with the notion of the transfer of the Palestinians. You cannot separate those. And mm. Benny Morris argued very logically, even without historical evidence. How can you uh, establish an ethnically exclusive Jewish state on a land inhabited by people from other ethnicities. The logical solution, Benny Morris said, is the transfer of all or the majority of the Palestinian population. So that's the foundation of Zionism. And this is what happened. This is, you know, Ben-Gurion, the prime minister of Israel, the first prime minister of Israel, uh, approved in 1947, March 1947, a plan called Plan Dalet, basically to uh, render Palestine as much as possible ethnically homogeneous by terrorizing the indigenous population, by transferring them, emptying the villages, and so on and so forth. Uh, you, you can, this is the story actually of settler colonialism. And settler colonialism, when you want to settle in a land that is not yours, and to establish an ethnic and ethnostate. You need to transfer population. So that's Zionism. Now, Christian Zionism is basically, I would define it a little bit more broadly, like okay. more broader than Rob. It is the Christian legitimization of Zionism in a nutshell, you know, that is based on theological reasons. So it's the Christian legitimization of Zionism that's based on theological reason. And why it needs to be a little bit broad, because yes, we as evangelicals, we see Christian Zionism, or we uh, see it in uh, in our churches, etc. But but also mainline churches, liberal churches, they have their own Zionism. Mitri Rahev is about to publish uh, a book addressing Christian Zionism in the liberal churches. So it is broader than evangelicalism. Now, the in the context of the U.S., probably it is. You know, the, the loudest people, etc., the loudest form of that Christian support of Zionism is within evangelicalism, but it is broader. So it's, it's helpful to say that it is the Christian legitimization of Zionism. Hey, can I ask you a question about that then, Tony? Sure. Um, when you were explaining being in a church and hearing at the end of the service, you, you experienced this great theological uh, conviction and whatnot, and then it's, hey, let's pray for Israel. So myself, as someone who was born in America, just part of the the typical um, yeah. evangelical Christian Zionist uh, type infiltration of dispensationalism, like that, that was just what I knew growing up, right? And yeah. I wasn't challenged yeah. with anything differently until my late twenties. Um, yeah. So when when I had to work through those issues of dispensational thought of how I view Israel and America in the world. It was a theological and like an intellectual theological exercise, which then shifted how I, my conviction, which then developed an ethic for how I view this issue. And so it's yes. very much like, it's very intellectual on my end. It's not experiential. I'm so when I hear sermons in churches where a, a pastor will lead the congregation in prayer for Israel, I'm very much responding to my head. Um, for you as someone who these are your people. <laughs> this is literally your world. How might you experience this in a way that's different than 
how someone in my shoes might experience this? Like what's coming up for you? It's a, it's a, yes, it's a matter of knowledge. See, like, um, and I appreciate that you said it is an intellectual matter. We need to press ourselves and my, my people perish because of my lack of knowledge. We cannot afford the church of Jesus Christ cannot afford not to know. Mm-hmm. And the best way to know is to ask fellow Christians. We are the church of Jesus Christ in the land. I am not here speaking to you as a victim. You know, I am here speaking to you as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus Christ who witnessed to the resurrected Christ. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have any victim mentality. You know, I have my cross. My cross is Israel. My cross is the is the Christian justification of Zionism. That's part and parcel of my cross. I carry my cross as all of you here. I will be very surprised if any Christian don't have any cross in their life, to be honest. So I carry my, my cross and follow Jesus. So uh, my, my quick comment is we need to know. We need to know. And the best way to know is to ask the church, people that you trust. Uh, as, as a Palestinian, obviously, how did I hear these things? Because I lived through them. I was centimeters away from Israeli bullets. Israeli bullets entered my bedroom during the 40-day siege of uh, Bethlehem. I, I need to cross two checkpoints every day. My grandfather came from Nazareth. His house now in uh, Shamer is inhabited by uh, Jews right now. You know, he was forced to leave his village. And he, he lived for uh, years in garages in Bethlehem. He came as a refugee. You know, this is the story of our people. This is the story of my family. This is my story. I am here also. I am in exile here. I, I don't want to be here. We left me and my wife our jobs in Bethlehem, our livelihood, our newly built house. You know, we have, we've, we've been six years in diaspora. This morning, I was texting... A friend of mine, I organized, I, I helped here the Center for the Study of Bible, of Bible and Violence to organize a trip to Palestine, Israel. Dear friends of mine, and I, they, they were sending, they are now in Palestine, sending photos from all of the sites. And I, and I felt it was hard, you know, like six years. Mm-hmm. Although I was, you know, I helped organize the trip and everything. But like for six years, we're trying to come back this Easter. You know, we, we tried just to get Sarah a military permit, my, my wife, to enter to visit my family, our home in Easter, and, and we, we couldn't. So all of this, right, uh, is, is righteousness, is, is okay, this is right, like, you know, and, and you would expect in an imaginary world that the Church of Jesus Christ would be holding the banner of righteousness. Those mm. people who are justified by Christ, what does yep. justified mean? You know, they are now righteous by Christ. In our uh, Reformed theology, we tend to separate justification from sanctification. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is better to think of it as one process. You know, you're justified through faith by Christ, and then you live out this justice. You know, you live it out. So I would expect the church to be holding the banner of justice, you know, and telling the world this is right and this is wrong. You know, but it's why I was baffled, because it's all mixed up. As if like you're living in a context, imagine, right? I don't know. You're living in a particular context and you, you see wickedness in front of you. And then fellow Christians come and tell you, no, 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 no this is not wickedness. This is actually righteousness. Right. This yeah. is God's yeah. hand. The you fulfillment know, of prophecy. Is, 
Yeah. Of course, <laughs> this is not under God's sovereignty. You know, this is different. You, to say under God's sovereignty is one thing, because God is sovereign over everything. And to say fulfillment of God's promises and prophecy, this, this is God's heart. This is God's will. You know, if you want to know the character of God, you know, this is, this should shock us. This mm -hmm. should shock right. us. Absolutely. This should shock us because we're followers of Jesus. Yes. It's very important to emphasize this because we're yeah. called to witness to Christ. Yes. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned how, you know, you wanted to be in Palestine right now, but it's like a diaspora for you. Uh, so you're not currently living in Palestine in Bethlehem. You are living in England. And we mentioned earlier that you are working on your PhD in England, but it, that's not the main reason why you are in England, right? What, what else is going on with you and your family that you're not living in your home? So to, uh, to summarize the long story, uh, it is... It is now well known, we, we've been saying it for many years, but it's now well known that Israel maintains an apartheid system in the West Bank. What does apartheid mean? It's a, it's a system of segregation, you know, based on which racial group you belong to, like what was happening in uh, South Africa. And now this is documented, hugely documented by uh, Human Rights Watch, mm -hmm. Amnesty International, Beit Salem in Israel, Al-Haq in Palestine. These are distinguished human rights organizations. So under this system, so under this apartheid regime, there's different treatment to the Palestinian in the West Bank that is different than uh, a Jewish settler in Palestine. I'm not talking now about historical Palestine. Israel. I'm talking about the West Bank specifically, right? This is talking about 22% of historical Palestine, right? So if I were a Jewish settler, I would have different rights and privilege and privileges under than a, a Palestinian. Okay, even if like I, I'm talking about uh, within the same area. So like settlers who are living in land stolen from Bethlehem have different rights and privileges, are more privileged than me, who, you know, is originally from Bethlehem. So what happened with us, part of these legal systems, is when it comes to uh, civilian affairs and marriage. So I am married to, to a Bolivian, uh, to an international. If I were, let, let me give you the scenario, if I were a Jewish settler married to a Bolivian, my wife would be welcomed. There is a procedure, permanent residency, and she, she would become a citizen. But because I am Palestinian, all right, Israel only offers my, uh, so my, my wife cannot enter the land. There, there's no such thing as Palestine or Palestinian government, forget it. All of Palestine, Israel, whatever you want to call it, is under one power. You know? It's under military yeah. occupation, so it's, it, so, yeah. Exactly, it is, it is Israel. There is a Palestinian authority that functions as Herod functioned in the first century with the Roman Empire. Interesting. You know, they are, yeah. I don't want now to enter that line, but <laughs> you know, they, they have security coordination with Israel. They have, you know, they are they are they are typically told they are they typically do what they are told. So there is no, there is, like no one can give me within the Palestinian Authority, no one can give us any permission. They don't have, anything. we need to get the permission from Israel. So as a Palestinian, uh, Israel offers my wife only a military, a temporary uh, military permit. 
that is valid for six months and they get renewed up to 24 months. Under this military permit, my wife can drive a car, can't go to uh, Jerusalem, for instance. Can't she, use, she cannot. Uh, no, she, she cannot. Okay. She can't use Ben-Gurion Airport. Mm. She cannot work. The, the, this permit, you know, this visa that gets issued through the Israeli military says that she's not allowed to work. Mm. So, and it expires after, every uh, six months, up to 24 months, and then we need to leave. We were told, actually, by an Israeli officer that we give you this permit, this visa, uh, to visit your family. Mm. So Sarah's visit finished to her family, to her husband. Now it was time to leave. We left in May 2017, uh, thinking uh, we are Christians, Christian ministers. We had big churches behind us. We had, even at some point, a Jewish-Israeli lawyer, etc. Impossible. We will come back. Impossible. We left on a three-month visit to Bolivia on a two-way ticket and never to be able to come back again. Until mm. And we're still trying. We desire strongly to go back. Strongly. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. now, if anything happens now, I'll wrap my things and leave. Uh, this is where we are called to be. This is our home. We had... We had two secure jobs with Bethlehem Bible College. We were happy. I mean, mm. <laughs> by any standard, we had we built our home, moved in at six months. We were expelled. So when I think about our story, you know, my grandfather was expelled in 1948. Mm. And then our house, we were expelled. So we have two empty houses. Well, one technically inhabited by Jews now in uh, near Nazareth. And one is empty in Bethlehem. They, they haven't I, demolished your home. No, because we are in area A. Okay. So if, if you want, we we can go into... That's okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, Israel works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. And we want to remind you that everything we do at Determined Truth, the podcast, Rob's blog, and our YouTube channel, is available on the Determined Truth app. Directions on how to download the app is available in the show notes and on the DeterminedTruth.com website. Just click on the app tab. Part of the narrative and and you can certainly fill us in here is it seems to be that israel wants to take as much of the land as possible with as few of the people and the security barrier around bethlehem is an example of that and the fact that they're not allowing your wife to come in and live with her husband and she can't have that's an example of that is that can you, can you fill us in on that and help us understand that better yeah so uh israel is a country with no declared borders and this is very important to understand. Mm. It is a settler colonial state par excellence. Okay. Like they do not want to declare their borders. And I don't know if you're following the news, but I was horrified. I couldn't believe my eyes when Betzalel Smotrich, okay, he is currently in the, in the cabinet. He's the minister of finance. He was speaking in Paris and he put the map of Israel including, so his map of Israel that he displayed, mm. included all of historical Palestine, all of Jordan, parts of Syria and Lebanon. Mm. This is not fringe. This is the Minister of Finance. So Cur The current Minister of Finance. The Israel. current Minister of, of Finance, Betzalel Smotrich, who, who said in 2021, by the way, that uh, Ben-Gurion's biggest mistake was that he left the task unfinished. Mm the task of the Nakba, the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. So that it's important to know what Christians are justifying. 
Like, what are we putting God's name on? You know, sorry. <laughs> you know, this is this is horrific. This this should send shivers to our bodies. You know, this this should send us to you know sitting in sackcloth and ashes. You know, as as Christians. You know, this is not this is not something that is okay. So this guy uh, displayed the uh, map of Palestine, the, the map of Israel, sorry, as including Jordan and parts of Syria and Lebanon. So Israel is a settler colonial state. And let me stop at, at this term, settler colonial, meaning when, uh, uh, so there, there are different kinds of colonialism. There is, for example, exploitation colonialism, what uh, Britain did to India, for instance where uh, you invade the country, but you do not move your population there. You exploit the country and you benefit from it, mm. right? But there is a kind of colonialism where you move part of your population to that country. And thankfully, uh, the Fourth Geneva Convention, Article 49, you know, according to international law, this is illegal now. Right. Settler colonialism is passé, is praise God. You, you can't, I can't now, even if I buy land in the U.S., even if I buy this land, obviously I won't be allowed in, but let's imagine <laughs> uh, that I am allowed in. Uh, imagine that I buy the land. I cannot put my flag on that land mm -hmm. and say, now this is a Palestinian colony. This is illegal and this mm -hmm. is immoral. Mm -hmm. right? This is American land, full stop. So uh, settler colonialism is that when an, a nation invades another nation, moves their population. there, And this is what Israel has been doing from the early 20th century until now with Palestine. There is the Aliyah law. If you are a Jew, you have the right to immigrate to Palestine. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's a state in continuous expansion. You know, how will uh, this state, how, like if you have the Aliyah law, you know, the right to return to the, of the Jews, uh, uh, of course, by implication, you will be a settler colonial state because more Jews are coming settling, building settlements in our place. And then the indigenous population are being continuously pushed out. As, as one Knesset member put it, you know, Israel's policy is maximum land and minimum Palestinians. That's Israel's policy. Uh, what do they do with the 5 million Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza? They hold them with an iron fist policy and, and put as brutal policies as they can to push the population out. Like uh, Theodore Herzl said in his 1895 journal entry, you know, that we need to do it, you know, the expropriation, and I'm quoting here, the expropriation and the removal of the poor, the poor Palestinians, must be carried out discreetly and circumspectly. You know, my news, me and my wife, is not on CNN, you know. No, this is discreetly and circumspectly, as we say in Arabic, shway, shway, poco a poco, as they say in Spanish, pushing the indigenous population out. They did it in 1948 aggressively and with massacres and, uh, and terrorism. And now they continue to do it, you know, in a more civilized way using laws and et cetera, discriminatory laws. Yeah. So, Let's look at, you know, peel this apart a little bit and maybe get into yes, some please. of the ways that, because uh, you're laying such an amazing foundation <laughs> that I, I, I mean, as someone who has been aware of this topic for a while, like I'm hearing things in a different way than I have before. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate this. I wanted to find something or allow you to define something just to make sure that uh, I think anytime you get to this conversation, if someone isn't on your side of the equation, 
they're automatically going to fill gaps with suspicion rather than trust. And so yes. I don't know, oh, yeah. you know, this is the first time you and I ever had a dialogue, but I'm yes. filling the gap with trust, knowing that when you're talking about Christian Zionism and in your, your wholeheartedly have a conviction against that, you, what you're not saying is Jewish people are evil. And I have a problem with Jewish people. Like you, you probably see a distinction between the movement or the ideology of Christian Zionism and people themselves. Right. Of course, I was with the Jewish rabbi in Chile last last year in a conference, and he was teaching us even how to be stronger, describing the injustice hmm. against the Palestinians. Some Jews are horrified hmm. by what Zionists are doing, and this uh, professor that we were with, he begged us to please separate rabbinic Judaism from this kind of others, you know, this kind of... The, very strong nationalistic, and he suggested to us, please call it national Judaism versus rabbinic. I my, myself, I'm a New Testament researcher. I was lo- lo- looking at the Mishnah, and I was looking at rabbinic interpretations. I was I uh, read Judeo-Arabic. I uh, look at translations of the Bible that were uh, done by Jews living in Egypt in the 10th century, 11th century. It has nothing to do with like what, what I'm talking about is is not at all. I'm talking about the the Zionist movement. And with that, we actually had a question come in from one of our uh, our audience members, <laughs> and, uh, and and we're keeping anonymity because these are pastors who you know uh, they're part of a group, and we want to make sure we we keep that uh, you know confidential. But this is a really good question. It's what is the general attitude of the younger generation of Israelis toward these apartheid policies? Do, do you see like a generational gap and a difference in thinking, or is it more just ideology based on maybe the the group you're with? I, uh, my, my wife is more optimistic when it uh, comes to generational uh, progression. I am more pessimistic. One, one thing that uh, discourages me, to be honest, is the recent uh, demonstrations, you know, the ongoing, mm. uh, you know, demonstrations in Israel, etc., uh, that shows that if the people of Israel have a will, uh, they can change things, right? So uh, when uh, democracy uh, was under threat, and I am talking about democracy for the fifty percent, democracy mm. for the Jews, because mm. you know who the the uh, we are uh, approximately fifty percent Palestinians in Palestine, Israel, and fifty percent mm. Jews. I'm talking about the whole historical Palestine. So this is not democracy for me. This is democracy for mainly. Uh, Jews who live in uh, Israel, Palestine, including settlements, obviously. So when I when I look at uh, how the demonstrations and the strong will of the Israeli population, I I get depressed because that means that shows that when there is a will, there is a way. When they want to change something, they will act upon it, you know. And they're okay with apartheid. Let apartheid continue. No one mm. is going to the street. To demonstrate against apartheid and injustice against the Palestinians, so it is it is depressive. And also the the liberals, we we usually just attack the conservatives and the right wing, you know, because they are easier. But the centrists, I, I mean, the previous government wasn't much better. Mm-hmm. You know, the the, the like I, like obviously now people like Bitzel and Smotrich like reach to extremes. But in terms of justice for the Palestinians, the centrist government, the more even left wing, they 
like they didn't change much. Like there was nothing. Like we are yet to see a government that comes in Israel that genuinely wants justice for the Palestinians. They speak about the two-state solution even at the peak of the two-state solution and Oslo peace accords. The settlers were the settlements were ongoing, doubling and tripling. You know, Israel where was building. I got, I got two questions to follow up with you on that, um, Tony. One is, what do you say to the people, especially usually Americans, who say there's no such thing as Palestine or Palestinians? I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> They're a made-up people group, though. I mean, this is, I literally grew up with this mind. I mean, this yeah, was yeah. the narrative that my whole life was spun. That's not a real state. It's a made-up thing. Show me, you know, all this stuff. I mean, yeah, this is, this is normal nomenclature. Again, again, this is classical in uh, settler colonialism. You need to dehumanize the other. Mm. You know, uh, my wife Sarah is uh, researching not only Palestine, Israel, but putting it in the context of wider settler colonialism. And we can speak about this because my wife is an Estisa from Bolivia. So she is part, she has roots going back to Spain. So uh, if we read, uh, you know, she, she, she was telling me about uh, reading. And you would see uh, justification, you know, and dehumanization of the indigenous people. You know, we are going so that so the, the Palestinians. Let, let me put it this way: the motto that the Zionist movement lifted in the colonization of Palestine, which actually Christian a Christian clergyman told them, is the motto of an empty land, a land without people, for a people without land. So this is how Palestine was colonized. A land without people for a people without land. But the land right. had people. Right. Yeah, you know, and, they knew, yeah. and they knew that the, the land had people. Yeah. But we weren't the civilized. We weren't the people who are, we didn't make the most out of it. We didn't develop the land and build the, the Tower of Babel in the land, right? Ben-Gurion uh, used to use the word fallahin. You know, we, are, we were the peasants, you know, the peasants of the land. You know, we can transfer them somewhere else and build the land, build the civilization that we want. And this is the narrative of all the settler colonial projects in Latin America, in North America, as, as you know, in Africa. You know, we know we are, uh, uh, we are the civilized who want to come and make the most out of the land. Mm-hmm. And the indigenous population, we will solve their problem. You know, they are they are not fully developed yet. They're not fully human yet. So it's de- dehumanizing. That's basically how I hear that the Palestinians don't exist. Let me actually follow up on that if I can and see what you think on this. Uh, Tony, I had another question too, and, and then one, one just came in from one of our guests. The idea that the Palestinians are a made up people, the answer is it doesn't matter what you call them, they exist. A name is a name. So, okay. So, what if the name Palestinian is a made-up name? It doesn't matter. There, there, there are people who occupied that land prior to the formation of state of Israel. But they were they, for for two thousand years. They were called Palestinians. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, yeah. Anyone who does New Testament research, yeah, we, right. we call the, yeah. the land in the first century Palestine. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a Roman designation for the land. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The, the Nur and and before the Romans, Nur Masalha traces the, the name for 4,000 years, you know. Mm. Forget about the Roman designation. You have Muslims in the land, Arabs in the land, you know, for 1,400 years. 
you know, <laughs> like I can now I can do a DNA test and maybe, you know, our clan, some uh, people claim that we, that part of our families might come from uh, an X place. So, all right. Right. And now I can, based on that claim that my family came from Italy or from Spain or for whatever, a thousand years ago and go and claim nationality there, my wife can trace her roots exactly to Spain, exactly. Mm. She can't get a Spanish passport. Right, right. And, and, I'm, and I'm talking about very recent history. You know, the, like her, her grandfather was the one who, you know, her great-grandfather, sorry, was the one who immigrated to Bolivia from the Basque region. She can't claim Spanish citizenship. Like... <laughs> But this yeah. brings us, all right, I was going to go in another direction, but, the, but this brings us back to the evangelical, the American evangelical mm-hmm. Christian who says, yeah, but the difference between your wife being Spanish or having Spanish heritage and not getting a passport in Spain and the Jewish people is the fact that God gave the land of the Jewish yes. people. It's theologically driven. Right. So the God factor. So God mm-hmm. is a real estate agent. He's <laughs> a, actually, if you think about it, it is hugely, you know, you know, mm-hmm. once I can tell you one story after that other first time that I heard these things, I was with OM. Um, Operation Mobilization. Yeah, with Operation yeah. I a group that I love very, very much. And George mm. Verwer, I'm a very close friend with George Verwer. Very sad for to lose him. Mm. He, I, I, consider him I consider him one of my mentors, really. Mm. Uh, but I had very difficult experiences with uh, Operation Mobilization, with, with brothers and sisters there. This is a broadly, broad evangelical group. And I remember there when I used to hear these things, uh, I remember one of those incidences where I um, almost had an emotional collapse. I mean, and I started exclaiming, Lord, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Glorified be your name. Like we are making God a racist God. Mm-hmm. You know, we understand you know, the Old Testament, it does make sense, the story of the Old Testament. And, and if you look at Israel in the Old Testament, they weren't an ethnocentric. You know, they are people of the covenant, not people of race. You know, they had mixed blood from the very beginning. You know, so God, even the Old Testament was not a racist God. And now they're bringing God to be back again. You know, an ethnocentric God, racist God for what? Jesus came, you know. <laughs> and I was looking at your book uh, exclaiming hallelujah hallelujah you know uh, you j- just uh, in your table of content all god's promises fulfilled in jesus the temple of god fulfilled in jesus the people of god fulfilled in jesus the land fulfilled in jesus i was reading the letter of barnabas uh, apostolic father he sees jesus as the land the land mm-hmm. is jesus everything you know the early christians the new testament writers were obsessed about jesus like anyone who loves the lord and a genuine christian he sees jesus and nothing else (laughs) you know so yes this is like providing this is a misuse of god's name misuse of the scripture this is what christian zionism is Hmm. you just bring god's name and say god gave me the land i mean I, I actually, yeah, even even from Jews, I am surprised they, they, if, when, when, when they come up with these interpretations. Mm-hmm. I am very surprised. And by the help, with the help of uh, rabbinic Jews who are serious about their, their faith, it doesn't even fit into rabbinic Judaism, let alone Christianity. Right, right. Yeah, okay. Not because you have the figure of Christ. That's why I'm saying let alone Christianity. Mm. New Testament 
very clear. Hmm. So let me ask a couple of silly questions and then we'll get to the question from, from our guest. How long has your family lived in Palestine? Do you know how far back it goes? Let me give you a few clues. I mean, we have, so the Da'iq family, there are Da'iq Muslims and Da'iq Christians. Okay. And I was a while back texting my uh, cousin who is a Muslim, lives in Jericho. Hmm. And he told me verbatim, we are from you. We, you know, we are, we are originally Christian. Mm -hmm. And when I told him, when, when did you convert? He, he told me when Umar ibn al-Khattab came, you know, when Islam came. So you're talking from the 7th century. So we have yeah. almost like, a, 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 you know, a, a, an evidence from the 7th century, right? For, for hundreds of years, we are part. Yeah, yeah. You can live in Bethlehem, you and your family, for a hundred years and not be called a Bethlehemite. Mm. We are very exclusivist people, you know, because we are, we have a very, we, we are not like the new world, you know, when we are in Bolivia and North America, the so-called new world, you know, it's, it's very transient. We are very town and village and tribe culture. So to be called the Bethlehemite, there are people mm. who have been right, living right. second, third generation, they don't call, call themselves Bethlehemites and we don't call them Bethlehemites. To be a Bethlehemite, you need to belong to one of the seven clans. So our clan is called the Tarajmi. So that's it, is, what makes me a Bethlehemite. Is it possible that your family history actually goes back to the first century when there was, Jesus was walking on the earth and that there were Jewish who became be Christians? Honest, I won't be surprised at all. Okay, yeah, right? I mean, we talk about the Jewish people having the right, and the reason why I ask that is we talk about the Jewish people having the right to the land. The answer is your family could be Jewish Christians who descended mm -hmm from the first century and they just converted and yes. they're not Jewish by ethnicity any longer because they became Christian. Of course, and, and it's worth mentioning the uh, reverse. I was listening yesterday to Bitsalil Smotrich, the figure that I've been speaking mm -hmm. about, you know, the Minister of Finance, speaking in the Knesset, in the Israeli parliament and saying, some people asked me, where does the family Smotrich come from? And he said, there is a river somewhere in Eastern Europe uh, uh, and uh, the name of the river was Smotrich. So I won't be surprised that Bethlehem Smotrich was not Jewish and converted later on in the in the mm. diaspora to Judaism. Interesting. So now now God gives him my land and my home, and he kicks me out. What what like what kind of God are we? Like what kind of picture are mm. we? Uh, you know, hey, we have other a day I. I was reading the Gospel of John and I stopped at these two words toward mm. the, the end of Gospel of John, the, the, the prayer of Jesus. Holy and righteous Father. One, mm. At one point he says, righteous Father, the mm. Caius, holy Father. Right. And that's the point also, isn't it, Tony, that I'm going segueing here, that saying that this is a fulfillment of prophecy undermines the fact that God is righteous and just because what's happened with the, with the state of Israel is, that, is it's created injustice. Mm -hmm. Of course. And that's, what you're, that, that's the story you're telling us. And, and that's what we're and, trying to, all right, yeah. And the creation of it is fundamentally unjust. And we need to say it as it is. The Palestinians agreed to the injustice in 1988 mm. and said, okay, take a 78% of historical land, let us have our state on 22% right. of our land, West Bank and Gaza. So, Israel wasn't created justly. It was not created justly. And this needs to be clear. It was created, but this is settler colonialism and terrorizing people and removing the indigenous people from their lands. There is no compromise there. 
I am, uh, you know, it was created, it's a state that was created unjustly. There wasn't any other solution. And at the end, the Palestinians gave up resistance uh, and they said, okay, diplomacy, let's sit on the table and we are okay with 22% of. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Now everyone understands. Uh, by the way, I, I didn't speak like this before, but, but now it seems to, to me everyone understands resistance when it comes to. Russia and Ukraine, mm. uh, brothers and sisters here from the pulpits, the preaching about sending yeah. weapons. Right, right, yeah. Weapons, yeah. the uh, suicide bombing is okay. All of a sudden, the Ukraine's this is self-defense. This is, this is so. So the so sorry, you know, offense taken, but uh, sisters and brothers in the West do understand the concept of. Uh, yeah, right, right, and that yeah, and they, and, they understand very well. Yeah, I wish we had more time. I, I, we're running out of our time, and I want to respect your time also. So, one, I, I have a couple, a bunch of questions too. One about the, the justice on on that side. But one of the questions that came in, we only have a few minutes left. I understand that this is a long-standing and complicated issue, but do you see a single catalyst that would realistically facilitate change in the right direction? A political solution. I, I am um, my affiliation. I'm a Christian minister, non-ordained. My affiliation is to Christ and His Church. Mm-hmm. And I, my problem is that I have a high ecclesiology. Right, know? right. I have very high hope of the church. Yeah. You know, I do believe that the church should interfere in such contexts and tell the world what is right and what is wrong. Right. The church is the light of the world. That's yeah. my nutshell answer and if you want a more long answer practical political solution i can share about that but maybe let's leave it here for the lack okay of hey let's give you one opportunity really quickly just to tell us about your research uh, you're working on your phd in the book of acts i understand yes yes yeah, yeah. go ahead and tell us what you're doing well i am uh, not really working on uh, these issues i am looking at how earliest christians lived and how they witnessed to the resurrected christ in- oh cool by word and by action uh, in the context of the Greco-Roman world. So my uh, project is a comparative project. I'm looking at uh, wealth ethics, uh, particularly in the Book of Acts, mm. uh, in relation to Greco-Roman notions of distributive justice. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, trying to provide a constructive, something uh, constructive to the church, to our communities. How are we to witness to the resurrected Christ Amen. as a community. Amen. Well, Tony, you struck my heart, uh, and I yeah. know a couple of comments in the, here as well, that the answer is at least for the church to act like the church. And the, the tagline for this ministry is challenging the church to be the church. Uh, that's the, tag, the tagline for de- determined truth. And that's what we want to do. Say, hey, listen, the church needs to be on the side of justice and the side of peace on the side of Jesus and the side of the gospel for the sake of our kingdom, sake of our witness. That's why I titled my book, by the way, These Brothers of Mine, of course, straight out of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, our heart is with you. Our prayers are with you. Um, our lament is with you. Um, and we pray for that you and your wife can get, and your daughter can get back to get back to your land and live there peacefully, uh, even with Israeli neighbors if necessary. And we hope and pray that your work continues to, uh, to do so. And we thank you for your time. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And the book that, uh, Tony, you referenced earlier of Rob's was These Brothers of Mine, A Biblical Theology of Land and Family yeah. and a Response to Christian Zionism. So we'll, we'll link that in the uh, show notes. And that's a, that's an easy read, good introduction to this topic. I think, yeah, that's that's one that I know was helpful for me years ago, diving into this topic as well. But thanks, Tony, for hanging out with us today. Thank you, brother. Bless you on all your endeavors. And I want to thank our 
anonymous studio audience brothers <laughs> around the world, uh, literally, who uh, yeah. are serving for the gospel. So we thank you, everyone, and we'll catch everyone else next time. I want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast, and we would love for you to share the work of Determined Truth with others. Please follow this podcast and give a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your review will go a long way towards helping others find this podcast. Then share it with others so that we can get the word of the gospel of the kingdom to more people.